Luke chapter 5, let's stand for the reading of God's Word in verse number 18. Verse number 18, Luke chapter 5, And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. Talking about laying before Jesus. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up upon the housetop and led him down through the tiles and his couch into uh, the midst of Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for all that you've done. Lord, we thank you for your uh, precious spirit, Lord, we feel, we praise, Lord, for each heart here to lift us up and encourage us. Help us to draw closer to you in the day that we live in, Father. And we'll praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. Uh, preaching on this thought this morning, uh, the sweetest words ever heard. There are a lot of sweet words in the English language. Uh, it's, it's sweet when somebody says, I love you. Amen. It's sweet when you hear somebody responds those words back to you when you say, I love you, I love you. I don't know what kind of upbringing you was brought up in. I don't know what kind of family that you was brought up in. But I feel sorry for those that never heard the words, I love you, as they were growing up as I did. I never heard those words in my growing. But to never have a mother or father say, I love you. That's a sad place to be. And if that was your upbringing, I feel sorry for you. Uh, uh, the homes today should be heard frequently. The words, I love you. When you leave in the house, we say, I love you. Because you never know that might be the last time you see that person. When you're on a phone, you hang up, you say, I love you because you never know that might be the last time you talk to those people. Now, some of you women here are sitting here thinking the, uh, you've heard the, uh, from that hunk of burning love sitting beside you those great words, I love you, was the greatest word you ever heard until they said, I, I do. Then months later, you feel out that wasn't so sweet. Some of you sitting here are probably thinking the sweetest words you ever hear is, let's eat. Let's eat. That, that, that would definitely be great to us. And some of y'all been seeing that a lot here lately. But I'm telling you that one of the sweetest words that you could ever hear are not those sweet words in the human language. I believe the sweetest words ever spoken to a man's ear that we find in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, when Jesus said, Thy sins are forgiven thee. There's nothing more sweeter, nothing more wonderful than the God of heaven. Let me clear this up. Some, some, some things the Pharisees didn't understand, something that you and I should understand. After Jesus told this man, thy sins are forgiven, the Pharisees got it all tore up about it, saying, who is this which speaks blasphemy? 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? They had that part right. They got that part right. God is the only one can forgive sins. And what was exactly who was sitting in that house that morning was God himself changing this man, forgiving this man, and saving this man. I don't think there's anything sweeter than the God of this universe, the one who created, the one who stepped out on nothing and made everything that we see, the God who indeed, He is your judge, He is your jury, and He is your executioner today. If you're lost today, He's your executioner. He is the God of the Bible. It said if you get saved, get baptized, the Holy Ghost uh, in the body of Christ. But if you're lost, it's going to be baptized with fire in the lake of fire this morning. He is the judge. He is the jury. He is the executioner. And, and I don't think there's anything sweeter for that God, the God of heaven, the God of the Bible. For that God looks at you and says, Man, thy sins are forgiven. I don't hold anything against you. I don't see no sin as far as I'm concerned. The slate has been wiped clean as far as I am I, I'm concerned. It is cast as far as the east is the west. It is in the depths of my forgiveness. It is washed, taken care of by the blood. There's got to be nothing more sweeter than hear that in your life this morning. To hear God speak to your heart and say, your sins are forgiven. If you're sitting here and don't agree with me, well, I just don't think those that are the sweetest words, then you're not guilty enough of your sins in your life. I love to preach to people that realize they need sins forgiven as much as I do. I do need my sins forgiven. I have to take an honest look at myself and so do you and take an ownership of our sin, the lies that we told, pride in our life, self-righteousness, for all the words that you and I have said, hatefulness, hateful words, curse words, mean words. And when you take ownership of all that filth and dirt in your sinful life and then hear the words of God, to hear the words that God knows that all about you, He knows your the rightness, He knows your filth, He knows your sinful deeds, He knows your prideful heart, to hear that God that knows everything about you says, Thy sins are forgiven. That's just something wonderful in my life. There can't be anything more sweeter than hear God of heaven tell you that your sins are forgiven. Do you know your sins are forgiven? Or are you still carrying around uh, that uh, guilt of sin? Do you realize when you read the Old Testament, forgiveness is only acquired through the priest? 
the, the first mention of the word forgiven is Leviticus and it's taken us uh, about uh, if you want to get forgiveness, you have to go to the priest to get this forgiveness. And the next several mentions is forgiveness is attached to the priest. Offer up a bullock, offer up a lamb, and your sins will be forgiven. Forgiveness was only tied to the priest. Do you know what the first mention of this word forgiven in the, is, is in this story of Matthew chapter 9? And the first time you find the word forgiven is attached to them is coming from the high priest of heaven and telling somebody, Thy sins are forgiven. You see, this guy's in bad shape. He's got palsy. He's in his bed. He can't get up. He can't go to the priest. He, he can't bring an offering. He can't make his way down there and on top because of his sickness. He's, he's in bad shape. He's unclean. He's an outcast. They don't want him even in the tabernacle. He has to live the rest of his life as an outcast. He can't get there, and if he could, they'd kick him out. But on this day, he'd, he'd done a sidestep of the Levitical priesthood. He'd done a sidestep on the earthly order of man's priesthood. And done, and done brought him from there down to where he was at, He winds smack dab into the high priest of glory. Who looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. Can I say this? The guy, you got to come to him. If you want forgiveness of your sins, you must come to him. The way to get for forgiveness is, you have to come to the one that is our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You come to the one who is as a daysman between God and man. For there is one God and one mediator and between God and man, that's man Christ Jesus. And he's the only one that can speak, thou sins are forgiven. That doesn't do something in your soul, then you're not feeling too guilty about the sins that you're carrying around. I know how rotten I am. And to think that God looked down from heaven, says, I know your sins, I know your faults, I know your weaknesses, but that God that would say to me, Thy sins are forgiven. I, I'm glad that I can come to the one the Bible said we never liveth to make intercession for us. I, I want to show you some things about the characters in this story right quick, and then we'll go home. Uh, see characters in the story that we need to, uh, to hear that he is these sweet words of thy sins are forgiven. The first character we see the words that are spoken to a rebel in verse number 3. And he entered into the ship, which was Simon, and prayed to him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he, and he talked the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out 
into the deep, and let down thy nets for a draw. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have told all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, as thy word, I will let down the net. And they had done this, this done. They increased a great multitude of fish, and their nets break. And they beckoned unto the, the, the partners which were in the other ships that should come and to help them. And they came in and filled both the ships so that it began to sink. When Simon Peter saw that it was, he fell down on the, uh, Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished with all that were with him at the draw of the fish which they had taken. And also... James, John, the son of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon, and Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, for henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Can I say something about this, this rebel this morning? Simon is the type of guy, you ain't going to tell him what he can do, or what he has to do. Do we have any men here like that this morning? You don't like being told what to do. I'm exactly that way. I don't like to be told what to do. That is right. All right. That's what uh, we're calling to be a man. You're just calling to be a part of man. We have to repent of that on a regular basis. None of us like to be told what to do. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. When God told Adam, don't eat of that tree, God said, and Adam says, you know what? I'm going to eat of it in any way. We find the rebel. We find the rebel. You, you say, how do you know he's, he's a rebel? He doesn't want anybody telling him what to do. Evidenced by the fact that when Jesus tells him what to do, we see the disobedience to the Lord's commandment to what he did. You see what the Lord commanded him. He didn't stutter. He didn't uh, mix words up. He said, it's very clear. Simon, let down your nets. That's plural. Nets. As far as I can tell, let down your nets for a draw. Simon. Simon said, can, can you see it in his tone? We've told all night long. I want to go home. I have done clean my nets. The boat was on shore. I don't want to have to clean the nets again. I'm ready to go home. Mad. I haven't called anything. I just need to go home. I don't have time for this. We have told all night, taking nothing. Nevertheless, get this, watch this. You do a pretty good job of preaching. But you know nothing about fishing. Stay in a lane, Jesus. He doesn't know that he's Lord yet, so he called him Master. You don't know nothing about fishing. You preach all fish. But just to pacify you, 
I will let down it, the net. Net. Singular. That's what he said. And because of his disobedience, but don't miss this, because of Simon's disobedience, it leads to damage in his life. Forgive me for preaching to all of y'all that think that all of y'all like me. I have damaged my life. I've done things. I've been disobedient to the Lord. Maybe you've never been disobedient. The Lord has told you to do what you're supposed to do, and I'm sorry, I sometimes just don't do what the Lord tells me to do. I know what it's like to disobey God. I know what it's like. I know what God has said to do and I totally would not do it. Over and over and over again. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about this morning? I thought I would have to find another church because when you go to a church that they say is perfect, don't join because you'll mess it up. We know that we're all disobedient to the word of God. You're a rebel. He tells us to do this. We sigh. No. I don't feel like it. I will partially do it. What you told me to do. And when I do it. I'm going to do it with an attitude. Amen. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to do what I want to do. And when you start disobeying God and doing what you want to do instead of what God wants you to do, you know what happens? Just like Simon, there comes damage in your life. The net's broke. Disobedience leads to damage in your life this morning. Because he partially obeyed what God said, his net singular. He did only part of what God told him to do, his net break. Do you know why some people often or not wind up in broken hearts, broken minds, broken homes, broken lives? It's because of their disobedience. And I'm speaking for myself. Most of the brokenness in my life has become because my own disobedience or someone else's disobedience that's in my life this morning. That's why we suffer brokenness in our life. We know that brokenness is in our hearts, brokenness is in our homes, in our lives because we disobeyed God and now things are broken. You just can't keep trying things your way, sir. You can't just keep trying way, your way, ma'am. You can't just keep disobeying God. You can't just half-heartedly do what the Lord tells you to do and let down your net in your life and not the nets that God has told you to. Keep on disobeying God and watch the damage come into your life. 
It will break. Life breaks because of disobedience. And many times, and now for good news, watch what happens afterwards. He admits he's messed up. He admits that he disobeyed him. In verse 8, this is real good and this is where some of us need to be at this morning. Simon failed at his knees. He gets down in a kneeling position. He is on his knees at Jesus' knees. And when he gets down on his knees, he says, I recognized what I am and who I am. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And God looked where he was at. Man made his omission about his sin. Let me say, he can hear something like Peter's heard. Jesus said in verse 10, fear not. What he's saying, thy sins are forgiven. He's saying, I know you're a sinner, Peter. I know you messed up. I know you've been disobedient. I know things are damaging your life because of that, but I forgive you. Don't worry about it. Just get up and let's go. Maybe some of you are this morning like Peter. Because of your disobedience, you get some damage in your life. Your life is broken. Your heart is broken. Your home is broken broken it seems like everything has shattered this morning but I'm glad there's somebody you can fall at his feet this morning it doesn't matter how many fields you've been it doesn't matter how far you've run there's somebody that will say fear not thy sins are forgiven now I'm thankful for him for that day for removing my guilt and my shame this morning. And how he said uh, sins uh, are taking you about. I'm, I remember the, 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 he said, I don't remember them anymore. Thank God that he can take a rebellion like me. And God say, thy sins are forgiven. I thank God for that. I thank God for that. He speaks the words not only to a rebel, but he also speaks the words to rotten. Verse 12. And it came past when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy. That means he was covered with it. Full means completely blown leprosy. Who seeking Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou will Thou can make me clean. Verse 13, and he put forth his hand. Underline that. Underline it. Y'all, y'all got to see this. We talked about this morning in, in, in Sunday school class, word study. You, you really need to watch how you read the Bible. And he put forth his hands and, and he touched him, saying, Thou will be clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. You say, what, what does that mean? He's rotten. He's got leprosy. If you ever know in the Bible, uh, talking about leprosy, he was full-blown. That means his body was starting to decay. His fingers are starting to rot off. Uh, his facial uh, facial starting to mess up. Uh, the nose and ears were starting to rot off. This guy was full-blown of leprosy. 
And not only was that, he was an outcast. He couldn't go around anybody. He was outside the city. He couldn't be around anybody. He couldn't touch anybody. They couldn't touch him. He couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't go to the priest. That man was left out to himself. Back in Leviticus chapter 13, 14, it talks about leprosy. People like this, you can't get near them. And you sure don't touch them for sure. This stuff is contagious. They're condemned outside the camp. They have to say unclean, unclean. You can't touch them. If you touch them, you become unclean yourself. Yet when it comes time for Jesus to heal this guy, a lot of times when you read about Jesus healing someone, Jesus just speaks the word and it's done. The centurion, he said, my servant is dying at home. And he said, well, I'll go there. He says, no, you don't need to go there. Just speak thy word and he'll be healed. And Jesus said, no greater faith. Jesus just all he had to do was speak the word and this man would have been healed. But I, I love what it said. This man's a leper. You can't get around him. He can't go around everybody. He's got to yell unclean, unclean. Uh, he cannot touch anybody. Nobody can touch him. You got to stay away from him, Jesus. Social distance. Put your mask on. He's sick. He's got a disease. Don't get around him because you love to catch it too. Six feet apart. I still see them in the store six feet apart. All Jesus has to do is touch him. Jesus walks right up to this old boy, reaches his hands out, and touched him. He said, what's the point of that? Well, we find that the leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin. Leprosy starts small on the inside, but it doesn't stay small. It starts coming out. It's something you can hide at first, but sooner or later you can't hide it anymore. It doesn't stay small long. It works its way outward to you. It's a picture of sin. He starts small, something that you can, you, you're ashamed of, but you can hide it, you can cover it. And this guy, when I certainly, when the leprosy started, he was able to be to hide it, he was able to be to cover it. Nobody knows about it, but eventually it destroyed the inside and the works on the outside. And everybody knows that the sin, that the leprosy is there. And what Jesus is doing in the text, Jesus is not afraid to touch rotten, filthy, decaying life this morning. You come in here and say, I'm just like that. I've got sin. I'm, I'm rotten. I'm decaying. And I'm just telling you, Jesus said, come to me. I'll touch you. I'll take the sin. I'll wipe it away. I'll wipe the slate clean. But you got to come. Some people say, I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. You're right, Jesus touched him with his hand. 
He, he's holy, not me. He's God, not me. God wouldn't have anything to do with me. You're wrong this morning. God will have something to do with you this morning. The priest, the priest didn't touch him. He looked at my hand, now wrapped in rags. He looked at my face, now uh, there. Can I say there is a Savior in heaven that will reach out and touch you this morning. And he'll reach out and touch you this morning. I, I, I came across this story written from the point, viewpoint of the leper. I like to read it this morning because it just, just fits with everything. When, one year during harvest, my grip on my sickle seemed weak. The tips of my finger numb, first one finger, then another. Within a short time, I could grab, grip the tool but scarcely feel it. By the end of the season, I felt nothing at all. The hands grasped, the handle might have been belonged to someone else. The feeling was gone. I said nothing to my wife, but I know how she suspected something. How could she not? I carried my hand against my body like a wounded bird. One afternoon, I plunged my hands into a basin of water and intended to wash my face. The water reddened. My fingers were bleeding, bleeding freely. I didn't know what I was wounded. How did I cut myself on a knife? Did I handle something across the sharp edge of metal? It, I must have, but I don't feel anything. It's on your clothes, too, my wife said softly. She was behind me. She looked... Looking at me, looking at, behold, before looking at her, I looked down at the crimson spots on, on my robe. For the longest time, I stood over the basin, starting at my hands. Something I knew, my life was being forever altered. Shall I go to the, tell the priest, she asked. No, I sighed, I'll go along. I turned and looked into her eyes, standing next to her was three-year-old daughter, squatting. I glazed in her face and I spoke to her cheek, saying something. What could I say? I stood and looked at my wife. She touched my shoulder. And with my hand, I touched hers. It would be the last final touch. Five years has passed. No one has touched me since. The priest didn't touch me. He looked at my hand, now wrapped in rags. He looked at my face, now the shadow and sorrows. I've never faulted him. What he said, he, he was only doing as he was instructed to cover his mouth and extended his hand, palm forward, unclean. He told me, with one pronouncement, I lost my family, my farm, my future, my families. My wife met me at the gate, city gates with a sack of clothing, bread and corns. She didn't speak by now. Friends had gathered. What I saw in their eyes was perseverant. Do that what I've seen in every eye since. Fearful pity as I stepped out. I stepped back. The horror of my disease was greater than the concern of my heart for they, for they and everyone else I had seen step back. Oh, how I repulsed those who saw me. Five years of leprosy, my left hand was garnered. Tips of my fingers were missing. 
And with portions of the ears of my nose and that sight of me, fathers grabbed their children, mothers covered their faces, and children pointed and stared. The rags of my body couldn't hide my sores, nor could the wrap of my face hide the rage in my eyes. I didn't even try to hide it. How many nights did I shake my crippled fist at the silent sky? And what did I say to deserve this but never reply? Sometimes I sin. Some, some think I've sinned. Some think my parents sinned. I don't know. All I know is that I grew so tired of all, sleeping in my colony, smelling the stench. I grew so tired of the bell I was required to wear around my neck to warn people of the presence. I needed it. One glance and then a moment again, unclean, unclean, unclean. Several weeks ago, I dared walk to the road to the village. I had no intent entering. Heaven knows I only wanted to look again upon my fields, graze upon my home, see and see the, perhaps the face of my wife. I didn't see her. But I saw some children playing in a pasture. I hid behind a tree and watched them scamper and run. Their faces were so joyful and their laughter was so contagious. For that moment, for just a moment, I was no longer a leopard. I was a farmer. I was a father. I was a man. Infused with uh, their happiness, I stepped out behind the tree, straightened my back, and breathed deeply. And they saw me. Before I could retreat, they saw me, and they screamed, and they scattered. One lingered, thought behind the others. One paused and looked in my direction. I, I don't know, and I can't say for sure, but I think, I really think she was my daughter. I didn't know. I really can't say. For sure, but I think she was looking for her father. That look is what made, made me take the step I took today. Of course, it was reckless. Of course, it was uh, risky. But what I did had, had to loss. But what did I have to lose? He called himself God's son. Either he will either complain or kill me or accept my demands and heal me. Those were my thoughts. I came to him as a defiant man, moved not by faith, but by desperate anger. God had wrought this calamity on my body, and he would never fix it again at the end. But when I saw him, and I saw him, I was changed. You must remember, I'm a farmer, not a poet, so I cannot find the words to describe what I saw. All I can say is that the Judean morning or something sometimes so fresh and sunrise so glorious that it looks at them is to forget the heat of the day and before the hurt of all times past. When I looked at his face, I saw the Judean morning. Before he spoke, I, I knew he cared. Somehow, I knew he hated this disease as much as I did. No more than I hated it. My rags became trust. My anger became hope. From behind a rock, I watched him descend a hill, throng of people following him. I wanted to Warning, I waited until he was only a pace from me and I stepped out. Master, he stopped and looked. He looked in my direction as he did a dozen others. A flood of fear swept across the crowd. Alarms flew in the, uh, from the faces. Children ducked behind parents. Unclean, someone shouted. And again, I don't blame them. I was huddled, massive death. But I scarcely heard him. I scarcely saw them. Their panic. I've seen a thousand times his companionship. However, I never, never behold anyone step back except him. He stepped forward and towards me. Five years ago, my wife had stepped before me. She was the last to do so. 
No, he did. Did not want to move. Just spoke. Lord, you can heal me if thou will. Had he healed me with a word, I would have been thrilled. If he had healed me with a prayer, I would have rejoiced. But he wasn't satisfied with speaking to me. He drew near. He touched me for five years. Five years ago, my wife had touched me. No one has touched me since until that day. I will, his words there, as tender as his touch, be healed. Energy flooded my body like water through a floodful field. In an instant, in a moment, I felt warmth. There was been numbness. I felt strength where there had been anthropathy. My back straightened. My head lived where I had seen eye level Naz belt. I, I stood eye level with his face, his smiling face. He crept his hands on my cheek and drew me drew near me. I felt the warm of his breath and see the witness of his eyes. Don't tell me anybody about this, but go and show thyself to the priest. The gift of Moses commanded people who are well. This will show the people what I've done. And so that is where I am going. I'm going to show myself the priest and embrace him. I'm showing myself to my wife and I will embrace her. I'll pick my daughter up and I will embrace her and I will never forget the one. He could heal me with a word. But he wanted to do more than just heal me. He wanted to honor me, to validate me. Christen me. Imagine what an unworthy of a touch of a man, yet worthy of the touch of God. He is willing. He is willing. Amen. We see he spoke to a rebel. We see he spoke to a, the rotten. I'm telling you this morning, if you walk in feeling so unworthy, feeling so dirty, years of unclean ringing in your ears, I'm proud to report to you there is a Savior this morning that says, Come to me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't run from him, run to him. Thy sins are forgiven. So many times the devil will say, So unclean. And the Lord says, Come to me, come to me, and I'll clean what the world has said is dirty. I will clean what my word said was vile. Come to me, he said. These words to the rotten and to the rebel. And then he said both these words to the re resistant and the reluctant. This is what this man was. This man in our text story doesn't come to Jesus on his own because he can't. Because there's something interesting to me in the story, and that's this. When Jesus speaks to this man, it said this. When he saw not his faith, but their faith. In other words, this guy didn't want to be there. This guy didn't have a lot of faith in where they brought him to him. He didn't have a lot of faith about what was about to happen to him. He come as a resistant. He's reluctant passenger on his journey. 
But he left a whole lot different than when he came. Because in verse 25, it said, he went home glorifying God. I believe every one of us can fit into one of these categories this morning. You may be a rebel, you may be uh, uh, rotten to the core, you may be reluctant, you may be resistant. I believe every one of us fit in this category one how, one way. But I'm telling you, the same God that touched them is the same God that can touch you this morning. I don't care how far you're gone. I don't care how right you are. I don't care what you've done. God said, come unto me and I will give you rest. I'll make you whole. I'll make you clean again. Don't let the world tell you you're done with, you're rotten with, you're over with. God said, come to me. Can I say this morning, please don't leave without getting your sins cleansed. Please don't leave. Your chance and opportunity, no matter how far you've been, no matter what you've done, is here this morning. Jesus said, come unto me, all your labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I tell you what, you can get some rest from the sins you do in. You can get rest from that rotten life you live in, that resistant life and that reluctant life. You can get rest from it at your knees. Peter fell down on his knees, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. But Jesus said, hey, I know you messed up. I know what you've done. But I forgive you anyway. Let's get up. Let's go. Let's move on. How about you this morning? Are you willing to get up, move on, get everything right with God? 